Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. This is episode PS71, and PS standing for Positivity Strategist, so it's episode 71. And I'm your host, Robin Stratton-Burkessel. Once again, thank you very much for listening in. Today you're in for a real treat. My brilliant guest hails from the beautiful Canada, the city of Toronto, and she's a woman of huge talent, energy and dynamism. She's highly acclaimed in her field of organisation and community development and coaching and a lot more, and is a leader of appreciative inquiry not only in Canada but globally. I'm really honoured to welcome Maureen McKenna, affectionately known as Mo. Hello, Mo. I'm really excited to welcome you to the show. Hi, Robin. It's just a pleasure to be here. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to us having a great conversation and um, look forward to what's going to unfold between us. I love that approach. And in fact, I think, Mo, this conversation is long overdue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to set a little bit of context here because with all the contributions that you've made to the world through your work and especially through the framework of appreciative inquiry and considering, Mo, in my last few shows, your name keeps entering into the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You've been praised by Deacon Richard Manley Tannis, also from Canada, as his mentor, and he tells a great story about you in his episode, and that was uh, episode PS 65. And then just most recently in the show just before this one, which is PS number 70, I was talking with Vic van der Vaart from the Netherlands, and he referred to you as an inspiration. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, they're both great individuals. And if someone is listening to this podcast and hasn't listened to either of those, I would encourage you to discover their insights too. So great to hear that, Robin. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. So, um, I mean, I have so much fun doing this work, as you can imagine, but um, more about that another time. <laughs> um, I just want to add here, Mo, again, a little bit more context to set the scene is that we actually fortuitously, were able to meet in person a couple of months ago at Case Western Reserve um, because Mo and I were co-facilitators at the Fourth Global Forum. And I also did a podcast of that, which was episode 68. But it doesn't stop there. I just want to say one more thing, Mo, because these synchronicities keep amplifying. Um, this year, we were both invited to be members of the Council of Practice with the David L. Cooper Writer Centre for Appreciative Inquiry at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont, in the capacity of field practitioners. And there's a whole lot more brewing. 
There is indeed. And I'd encourage people to go and check out um, the David L. Cooper Ryder Appreciative Inquiry Center at Champlain College because there's lots of information there and there's the AI Commons. So it's exciting to be part of this emerging um, field. Well, I mean, the field's been around a long time, but this new center is that's, that's global and it's just going to be really exciting. Yeah, it's just fantastic. And and as I said, the synchronicities are kind of just popping up everywhere. So kudos to Lindsay Godwin, um, who, who you know is such an inspiration and leader in this space for all of us. But hey, Mo, this is about um, you. I, I want to learn more about you and I know our listeners will be really um, uh, informed by some of the stories that you're going to share with us. But I do like to ask people who are guests on my show who have this appreciative inquiry background, how they first found out about AI or often the case that AI found them. What was it? What's your story? Well, it's it was interesting um, in thinking about our conversation going back. And for me, it takes me back to 1997. Now, at that time, I was what was called an organizational effectiveness manager at Xerox Canada. And I had been at Xerox since the mid 70s. And um, we had just initiated a global initiative to take out a layer of management and went to high performing teams. And this was my first foray into the field of organizational development. Prior to that, I had worked in a multiple roles in management across the company, but I had been attracted to this field. And um, we had been trained uh, from, there was about 120 of us globally, and we were working on uh, working on high-performance teams. And we had been trained by a group um, from Harvard, and so it was really cutting edge, and it was very exciting to be in this new role. And as I was working on it, one of the things that I noticed is when we came to developing team norms, how the behaviors were that these teams um, would conduct themselves. Um, there just was there was some difficulty, and it was and it was causing some of that storming stages of what we had talked about with new teams: form, storm, norm, perform. And in doing some research, I came across Doctor uh, Professor Jervis Bush from um, the BD School of Business and Simon Fraser University, and he had an article about how to eliminate the storming phase of new teams, and it was called Appreciative Inquiry for Teams. Mm-hmm. And that was that was where I first came across even the term appreciative inquiry. I'd never understood it. I'd never heard of it. And um, he, in his article, and we can put in uh, the resources, the link to this article, he talked about when you get new teams coming together and you get them to tell stories of their best teaming experience and their hopes for their new team experience, it's a way to uncover some of these um, hidden needs and their strengths. And out of that, they created their team norms. And it was so extraordinary. I mean, it was just magical. And I sneaked it into my formal training. And um, and it really began to kind of see the difference because my background was um, problem solving, um, using the burning platform, that case of energy of mm. deficit to get the teams going. And mm. this was a different shift. So that was when I first was introduced to it. Um, so, Mo, can I just ask the question? Mm-hmm. So when you say you slipped it in, was it the actual 
that kind of question about asking about best experiences in teams, that's what you slipped into the training that you were doing? I did. I slipped in about a 45-minute exercise sneaky and (laughs) it was it was indeed because you know if I recall how I was trained you know here's Mm -hmm. the slides here's what you do and so Mm -hmm. what it was was we just took a break and we sat in a circle and there would usually be about eight to ten people on a team and I asked everyone to share their best teaming experience could have been from work or from sports or from school Mm. and the group got to ask them each other questions so tell me more what was that like and so it was just fascinating and then we had a second round of conversation around so when we listen to all those stories what made it so good and what do we want to do as a team Mm. and then out of that we created the norms and that 45 minutes was just magic so intuitively you just got it Yes. Without any yeah. formal training or anything in, a, in AI. Exactly. Yeah. I've never heard of it. And I, I've, I'm, I encourage people who are interested to really follow Jervis's work. He's now doing Dialogic OD. And I just, the way he wrote it, it just spoke to me. Mm, very good. And so that was the beginning, right? It was. And then uh, a couple of years in 98, I left Xerox. The project had not gone well for many reasons. And um, I decided I'd found this passion for organizational development and facilitation and coaching. And I decided to take the leap and started my own business. And then I went out to seek more about processes like open space technology, etc. And I went on a five days course on appreciative inquiry with Jane Magruder Watkins. That was really my introduction to AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, leaning, learning from one of the best. Well, it was so funny because uh, I didn't know anything about Jane. Uh, she'd written the book, Jane, um, Appreciative Inquiry, Change at the Speed of Imagination. And um, I sat there and I thought, if I could apprentice with this woman, my life would be so different. And I I approached her. We got to know each other. I brought her up to Canada a few months later to do the very first appreciative inquiry training in Canada. And that became a lifelong friendship and partnership. And that's what really brought me into the center um, because Jane had mentored David Cooper Ryder, who was the original thought leader on appreciative inquiry out of Case Western. So um, so it was just a very exciting time and it just changed my whole life. Mm, yeah. And I know, Mo, that you've done so much work um, through that lens ever since then. So perhaps you can share with us a high point story of providing the experience of appreciative inquiry in an organisational or community context, perhaps something that speaks to the longevity, the continuity of it, the stickiness of AI. I would love to. Uh, I was thinking about this. There's one thing just to kind of uh, close off that conversation piece around the high performing team and my being drawn to it and observing how impactful it was. A few months ago, I came across some research that Google did uh, studying 180 of their teams over several years to find that uh, in that large data uh, investigation, what are those elements that really help to create a high performing and excellent team? And there's a great article that New York Times did that we'll put in the resources. And what they came up with was 
exactly what I had done with appreciative inquiry. Mm. When you bring a group together and they create their behaviors and their norms, it creates psychological safety. Mm. And when you combine psychological safety with accountability, you have extraordinary teams. So it just for me was interesting almost 20 years later coming across this research that really reinforced what I had intuitively uh, been drawn to. Yeah, so, so, so let's, just, um, let's just dwell on that because um, that is really significant. I'm glad you brought it up. So let's just talk a little bit or uh, let, uh, let me invite you to say a little bit about what psychological safety is. Well, the topic itself is a huge topic. And uh, in fact, in Canada, we're the first country to put together a psychological safety for the workplace. Um, and so it's a topic that I'm beginning to explore. But the way that it was described from the Google research, um, it was bringing in uh, Professor Amy Edmondson from Harvard. And what she discovered is that when you can get people to open up and disclose things about themselves and using story, which is the foundation of appreciative inquiry, opens us up to learn about each other in a way that, and so quickly. And when I understand, like Robin, you and I have met, um, you know, when we come together as groups with our clients and with each other to work on a project, the first thing we do is an inquiry. Mm -hmm. We spend time getting to know each other's stories. So we don't go straight to task. Mm -hmm. And an appreciative inquiry allows us to go back and draw upon our experiences, good, bad, whatever, to do the learning from them. And so when we get to know each other at that level, we start to Mm -hmm. almost unconsciously become aware of, you know, this is something's coming up. I know Robin, I think this could be a bit of a stressor for her. Let me step forward and see how I might support her. Oh, we've got this project coming up. Um, Mo's really good. She loves, she's told us that she enjoys this part. It's not part of her job, but I know if I ask her to do that, she'll help support the team. So that we're really kind of being, paying attention to each other at, um, what our needs are and having expressed them. I I just think that it's about almost how to be human at work. Yeah, Uh, that's fantastic. Thank you for doing that. And a couple of things came up for me as I was listening to you, Mo, and they are two things, I think. One is what you're opening up in with this psychological safety is a focus on the relational space between human beings that, you know, it's yes. in, in relationship that we make meaning together, that we make sense together, that we begin to see um, each other as whole human beings. So there's this notion of wholeness as well. And you're quite right in what you were saying. Um, you know, we both know this from experience, that it's that very first discovery interview or the inquiry that we invite people to start telling their personal stories. And you can't dispute one person's story um, around a particular situation, this notion of safety. It truly is. And I think the other piece that really becomes important is I can tell you the story, but in the inquiry and people ask questions, and that was why it's important to kind of tell me more about that, Robin, Uh, I, you know, what did you mean by that? So that we don't just listen to the story at one level, we really do tap into it. And what happens, I believe, and in the experience I've had 
feedback from clients is people will say, I've shared that story before, but until people ask me those probing questions, I never understood myself why that was such a successful outcome. Yeah. So I think that's a large part of it. And, you know, today's world where we're coming at things, um, we'll put the the link to Amy Edmondson's 11-minute TED Talk, the professor from Harvard. But she talks about when there's complexity and interdependence, you need to have both psychological safety and accountability. Mm. And if you only have psychological safety, you've got comfort and people aren't pushing each other to try and do different things. When you only have accountability, which I think is a big focus in many organizations now, you have anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when you can bring the both together, you have a truly innovative learning environment and climate. So I think it's important that it's not just one, it's the combination of the two. And I think um, the philosophy and methodology of appreciative inquiry really holds us accountable to what we come up with. So I just wanted to Bring in the two. Beautiful. So is this a good time for you to share a personal story of your experience with Appreciative Inquiry? I'd I'd love to. Um, I've been doing this work for, I guess, almost 20 years. And I was looking back and thinking about what was a high point. And uh, my background is corporate. And I had never worked with school systems until 2004, when at an annual general meeting, I met the superintendent, Sue Rowan, of leadership for the Toronto District School Board. And the TDSB is the largest school board in Canada and the third or fourth largest in North America. And so she and I got chatting and, and I said, you know, my experience of AI is rather than teach it, let's pick a project that you're going to be doing and let's do experiential learning. Mm-hmm. So as we're going through it, we'll then incorporate appreciative inquiry and you'll have two things accomplished, the task that you want to get done and the people will experience a different way of doing it. So she agreed and we started to chat about, well, what was something happening in the board? And um, have you ever heard of Imagine Chicago Robin? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Bliss Brown's work. That's right. Mm -hmm. And for those of you in 92, Bliss Brown was, I I think, in the financial uh, business. And she learned about appreciative inquiry. And she wanted to do an inquiry about how to improve the inner city and bring the stakeholders together. And she thought, gosh, people generally get quite cynical when we start to ask them these questions, but they don't if you include children. And so she was Mm -hmm. the first ever to bring youth to go out and do the interviews. Mm -hmm. So this superintendent had heard about this wonderful project. And so we came up with a program where the ministry had asked all school boards to look at new strategies for deal with students at risk. So it it was now called uh, student success. So we said, what if we did an imagined student success and we used appreciative inquiry to get the voices of the students? Strangely enough, no school board had actually gone out to talk to students. All their inquiry had been around educators and families. So that was the beginning of something called imagined student success. Mm. We invited all schools that had grade seven to 10 students which was the group that they really wanted to study, to see who wanted to be part of this. And 120 schools came forward. What we did was 120 schools picked six students who were not their usual suspects. These were students that they felt um, would would benefit from being part of it. We trained them and they went out and they did over 2,000 interviews. Mm -hmm. 
two thirds with students and one third with adults about what makes school a success. And then we brought all uh, of the 700 plus kids and 300 adults together for the day to uh, make meaning of it. And that was phenomenal. And Jane Magruder Watkins came uh, and worked with us on that summit. It was my first big summit. And out of that, five recommendations came forward to the school board uh, about what makes school a success. And then we had four students presented to the board of trustees. So uh, just to kind of give that sense of the scope and Mm -hmm. also the impact, um, because the number one uh, reason that schools, what makes students successful was teacher-student relationship. And that's what, and then somebody said, you know, they really understood it when one student was interviewed and said, I find a class is hard when I feel judged. And I find a class easy when the teacher is supporting me to do work I never believed I could. Mm -hmm. And that became a whole new inquiry into the next year. So for me, that that was a very exciting because it was my first large summit. Mm -hmm. But it was also one that was just filled with all sorts of one off stories um, and projects that that continued. The beauty of it was, is it started off as a conversation um, we picked something that was practical and it grew beyond any of our imagination. And this is what happens. I mean, I, I would love to jump in with stories, similar stories, but I'm, it's not about me. I want to hear more about your stories, but you're really exciting me about how do we, let's make this a generative conversation. Um, we'll have to do that offline. But let me, <laughs> let, me, let me go to now, you know, following the line of thinking about, you know, the appreciative inquiry interview protocol is um, after we have the stories and we find the positive core and the strengths, you know, from the past to take into the future and then into, uh, into the present and the future, we inquire into about what we value about ourselves. So I'm, I would like to put that question to you, Mo. What do you value about yourself in in this story, for example, or any other story about the impact that you're having in the work that you're doing? Uh, You know, it's always interesting, that question, what do you value about yourself? And sometimes we come across people and had to think about it. How would other people describe what they value about you? So it's, um, I was thinking about it from that. And I, I thought, well, you know, what I've been told and what I, I, I feel is true is that people say you come in and you energize and inspire us to change, mm-hmm. that um, I respectfully challenge individuals and, and groups to think differently by getting them to, to reframe what they're thinking and from a kind of a problem to that solution. And I think that project, when I look back at it, because people say, well, how did you end up doing such a big um initiative in that school board and you've never worked with skills before. I think it was my openness and curiosity and desire to really want to help Mm -hmm. the system that really encouraged and suddenly from that, you know, small acorns acorns grow great oak trees. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it's that being open, reflective and kind of really genuinely curious Mm. and wanting to help. Yeah. Um, in fact, you, I, you describe yourself as a learning partner. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear more about that. Well, I think my generation, um, and I'm a boomer, um, we were the generation of knowers, K-N-O-W-E-R-S. 
Um, you would never go into a meeting when I was at Xerox and ask a question because <laughs> you were expected to know. And a revelation for me was at a conference in Texas in 95 um, on high-performing teams when a speaker in a concurrent session talked about, and he worked for EDS, and he talked about the EDS learning values, being going from knower to learner. Mm. And he said, you must have humility to know that there's not, everything you know is still not complete. I think 22 years later, that's even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, you must use curiosity to engage and ask questions, which is what appreciative inquiry is about. And he talked about trust. Trust that whatever that person's perspective is, that's their worldview. Use empathy to make coherence of it and base it on a foundation of self awareness. And that for me was just mind changing because it realized that we are always learning. So I come in with some experience, but I learn so much more from my clients and from the people, my colleagues like yourself. So that's why for me, you know, people sometimes want to give you that sense title of, you know, the expert. And for me, I like the term, I'm your learning partner. We'll learn together. That's fantastic. I'm so glad I asked because I balk at the idea of being an expert because I, I because I actually have the same mindset and I think you know that's part of the appreciative inquiry mindset and the principles that we have but I'd never thought of describing it as a learning partner um, as opposed to being an expert because yeah you know it, it, we never stop learning and um, everyone particularly in today's age you know you think about the purview of leadership you know leader. Being a leader is just not the domain of one person or one entity or one institution anymore. You know, it's this collaborative learning space. Uh, yeah. And I think what I've learned um, at, from sitting at the side of Jane and, and, and David Cooperwriter and people like yourself, our community is so generous and generative, is that the system is the expert we have expertise. Yes. So I think it's very important um, to give confidence to the person who's bringing us in is to know um, I, I'm doing I, I'm doing a project. I'm a certified management consultant, and I'm doing a project for the organization on future of learning. And someone said, "Well, as consultants, we must be the gods." And I and I thought, "Oh gosh." Mm. And I went, "I think we need to be the guides." Yes. And and I was thinking about the wagon trains when people crossed. I went across the country. Um, you hired these guides, these scouts that couldn't tell you what was going to happen, but had some perspective based on their experience. So that's what I like to think of: is a learning partner, a guide. Yeah, beautiful. Yes, I think about. Um, as a facilitator, as somebody coming in to guide, to help design, that the client, you call it about the system, so the, the I think where we add help um, or ears or the expertise um, that we might add is in having a process and maybe a structure, but the context, the system we have no no experience or, or expertise in the within the context of the system and so the the context is owned by the system the client and the outcomes as well definitely and you know going back to the imagine student success um we did our first pilot because we always say to clients you're doing a big project you know pilot try things out and so we had um 
th- um, 30 students, six school, uh, I know it doesn't matter. It was a group of students. And one of them tried out the question and he went, that's a dumb question. I'd never ask another student that. We'd forgot to bring the student in to design the question. And so mm. it's really important that the system uses the language that's familiar with them because they are the experts and they also do the meaning making. I think that's the big difference with the priesthood of inquiry is I don't as the external person do the meaning making. The meaning making was made by all the students mm. in each school who then came together in the summit to share their meaning so that um, it truly is um, the work is being done by the people who mm. are the experts of the mm. system. Yeah. Yeah, there's that lovely mantra, and I put it down, I think, to um, Peter Block, and it's people support what they themselves create. Exactly. And and that's the beauty of it. So you go in and um, you trust and you help build their trust. And I, that's why I went back to when I mentioned the EDS learning values. I love their definition of trust. Mm. Trust is that whatever that person's truth is, it's based on their experience and that is their truth mm. and we need to make coherence of it. So it's a, it's a wonderful freeing way to um, be with and support your clients. Mm. So I asked you the question about what you value about yourself um, and you talked about curiosity and openness. So if you go back to your story about the educational system, what was it about their contribution and how they were engaging what they were doing that you valued about the people and then about the organization of it all? Mm. Well, I, you know, I go back and, and it was, um, Sue Rowan, who was the superintendent that brought it in. I, first of all, she is a true educator because she is open to what is the needs of the students of today, not forced to think about what was the success of the students in the past. So that openness of, of exploring in a, in a very, um, traditional, um, you know, it was very hierarchical and very political board. And so she was a real risk taker. So I really respect that. Um, the other is the way that, um, the, she and others supported the students to be leaders in this. And some, I'm very fortunate, some of the young students, and actually some of my favorite stories are what happened with them, but I still mentor some of them 12, 13 years later. And I've had them come and speak at things like Canada's Outstanding Principles conferences. So I think it was that, that's what I love is when you come across clients who are truly mm. open, willing to be vulnerable, mm. be a risk taker. As a leader, be willing to really mm. challenge the system and the politics of it and let their young um, people um, shine. And also going back to, you know, suddenly I was thinking about a story that came into my mind was a young student who, a uh, recent immigrant, uh, English as a second language, very shy and retiring. And uh, she told us, uh, she was part of the pilot group, and she said, you know, doing the interviews, I'm no longer afraid of bullies or teachers. <laughs> and we all kind of smiled. And so, you know, that was, to me, that was just recognizing that these, this would never have happened for her if there wasn't leaders like Sue and others mm. that step forward and make the space for them. Mm. But what that also points to, Mo, is that it brings out the leadership within the individual. So that young, that young woman, was she a young 
female yes. student. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> she found leadership within herself. And I oh. think that's, that's what I think is most um, empowering about all of this is because people speak up and they step up and they find stuff that they want to share. I mean, I, I can tell stories where the leader of a particular organization I'm thinking of said, I've never seen my people demonstrate such leadership. What are you doing to them? And it was like, <laughs> nothing really. They're just owning, they're just beginning to inquire into each other's stories and finding out the best of their organization. They're finding out their strengths and they're finding about what they value about themselves, their colleagues and the organization. Nothing really. <laughs> well, I know. And it, and, you know, I think part of it in that, uh, being that scout and helping them set up by suggesting that they pick not the usual people. So in the school system, for instance, there's young, a lot of kids who are seen as the, the leaders this project, they were the teachers and the principal um, and picking the six children who were from grades seven through 10. They weren't all, they had never, they were in different classes. It was pick the ones that are vulnerable. Pick the ones that represent the topic that we're going to be discussing and bring in other students mm -hmm. too. So it really allows people who, and they would never have even, they weren't being seen and they didn't see themselves as leaders to just shine. That to me is what's so exciting too. AI pushes you to think of those people mm. that wouldn't normally be part of the conversation. Yeah, great. Just pivoting a little, Mo, I, um, you're highly innovative and creative, you know, in the work that you're doing, you know, like the AIM process. Air, air, air. that's right, air, sorry. Um, I'm actually looking at it here and I'm saying AIM, which is crazy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the air, um, if you'd like to say something about that or any other innovations or maybe where you're heading, I mean, what do you see on the horizon? Great. Thank you so much. Um, so one of the, one of the, I think the opportunities for us in the AI community is how to bring this out to, um, a larger audience, how to scale it and bring it out. And, um, sometimes, our language and some of our frameworks are not always easily to easy to understand or, 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 or appreciate. And so what I've been trying to do is how to make things practical and really focus on what I call micro moments, micro practices, um, things that people can do in the moment. And um, AIR is takes the, the, the thinking process, the guideline of appreciative inquiry, and what I hope is it kind of simplifies it. And so in appreciative inquiry, it's the only process I know that invites you to go back to the best of the past to bring it into the future. Um, when I was doing uh, change in Xerox, we would go blue sky, clean slate. We'd go straight to the vision yeah. of the future. Yeah. Hang on, Mo. Just um, AIR yeah. is an acronym. Would you just explain what oh. AIR stands for? Certainly. Um, so AIR is a three-step process, and the first step is to appreciate and learn from the past. Um, the second is to imagine the future that you want and co-create. And the third is to reflect and take action in the present. So it's a thought process that gets us to stop and think about what are we bringing from the past that will support us and uh, help us 
Um, what's the shared image of the future that we can work towards? And how are we ready to take action in the present right now? Thank you. Air comes from um, about five or six years ago, I had um, an insight um, that had me think about the climate crisis that we were facing, that oh, we are yeah. facing. Yeah. And so this was 2012, and I saw a movie Chasing Ice, and it was a documentary where they were trying to, they were putting time-lapse cameras on glaciers around the world to prove that climate change was real. And when I came out, I began to think, how can I work to help with this crisis? And I began to think, appreciative inquiry um, people will say, I came into a conversation or a meeting and I was really tired and going through this process of, of inquiry and story and what's working, I left energized. And so I, re I began to think that perhaps we were having a crisis and an energy crisis in our organizations and communities where it's not that we, everyone's talking about how low engagement is. Could it be that we're really exhausted and that we're not energized and that we're moving things forward through fear and shortage. Mm -hmm. And so I began to think about how to create a healthy organizational or community climate. And that's where I began to think, well, how can I help people do that? And I think it's about how to help them reframe and how to help them have different conversations. And that's when I came up with the AIR model. So that um, what I want people to feel confident is how in the moment they can reframe by asking different kinds of questions. And so the AIR model, um, I can give you a very quick example. I had introduced it to a nurse manager um, in a one-day training at one of our hospitals. And after lunch, she came back and she said, during lunch, I was going to be meeting um, with a nurse that I've had some issues with for the last three or four weeks. And as I was walking down the hall, I thought, what's the first question I ask? Because in appreciative inquiry, we say the first question is fateful. Mm -hmm. And she began to realize that when she would go in, she'd go straight to the task. And so she thought, now, how could I use air? Now, this is a five minute walk down the hall that she's planning the meeting. So, uh, and she thought, okay, I can start by asking a question about the past. And so she sat down and she explained to the nurse when she met with her that I'm taking a course and I'm trying something new. Um, but I'd like to begin. Can you tell me a story about what it was that attracted you to nursing? Mm -hmm. And what has nursing done for you? So she got a chance to appreciate and learn from the nurse's perspective what, the, what her job meant to her. And then she said, if you were to imagine a year from now, and you were really happy at work, what would that look like? What would you be doing? And the nurse talked about something she had hoped to do. And then she said, let's stop for a moment and reflect. So we know that you're, you know, nursing has meant a lot to you, that you have an image of the future that you really are passionate about. And we have this issue. What do you propose that you do? And how can I support you? And they came up with, the nurse came up with a, a solution they did a quick conversation around it. They made some each other accountable for something. So when the manager came back into the room, she was so excited. And she said, oh, my gosh, she said, just pausing before I enter the meeting and thinking about this kind of map of how I could approach it. She said, in that 20 minutes, I learned more about that nurse than I had in two years of her being in my staff. And we had a solution and I followed up with her later on, and the nurse had followed through on it. So that's what my hope is with things like the air. You can do big projects like mm -hmm. the Imagine Student Success, and it's extraordinary. 
But it's those moments of what I call an appreciative micro practice. And I think we need to provide some tools to help people um, approach this with ease and grace. That's beautiful. And you've just covered a number of metaphors there. And really, you're giving people an opportunity to come up for air. <laughs> oh, oh, great. I hadn't even thought of that one. I love that. I will use that. <laughs> and I, I was, you know, thinking about the story you're telling about the, the nurses interacting. And your website, Mo, is called Return on Energy. It is. So this whole notion of, you know, using this metaphor of, um, you know, we have to think about how we're using our energy and we can be re-energized. That's, again, just a demonstration to me of your innovation, your thinking and, you know, how do we take this forward and make it easy for people to, you know, glom on to. Well, I really feel, I, I, when I was at Xerox in the 80s and they were talking about ROI, return on investment, I kept saying return on energy. And so it just stayed with me. And I saw a TED talk by Angela Arhart, who had been the CEO of Burberry and did an extraordinary job. And now she's the global vice president of retail stores and online for Apple. And she did a TED talk on human energy. And I wrote it down, the, a quote from it, if I'll, I'll share with you. And she says, passionate, positive human energy can, uh, can provide a counterbalance to the disruptive negative forces of an age of unprecedented change. Through it comes confidence, inspiration, and the power to transform things for the better. And I'd encourage you all to watch her TED Talk. And to me, she is just an inspiring leader who really understands that it's human energy that will fuel us and then give us the confidence to be creative and innovative and I think jobs for people like you and I is to be that learning partner and help people on their journey yeah and I'm going to request that you might send me that quote via email so I can include it also in the show notes oh for sure along with the TED talk link yeah it's a fabulous a fabulous quote thank you um yeah it gave me goosebumps (laughs) That's how I feel. And and I have to, I'll go off for just a second. So I don't shop at Burberry and I wandered into their, their, um, their, their store in Chicago. It's, and, uh, I walked up to someone and this is a year after Angela had left. And I don't know why I said it, but I said, I just love your ex CEO. And I was there for two and a half hours, had three glasses of French champagne, met every single person <laughs> in that store who had a story about Angela. Oh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's a legacy, right? Mm-hmm. That's appreciative leadership. I asked my guests if they would share again, you know, if they're familiar with appreciative inquiry. And I know that's been our focus here because a lot of my audience is very interested in hearing AI stories. Um, is for you to share with us perhaps a favorite principle that you have of whether it's the five foundational principles or an emergent principle? Be happy to. Um, I, I love them all and, and, and the emergent ones are great and I encourage people to, to read up on those. Um, what I did pick was the anticipatory. Hmm. And um, – <laughs> David's original thesis was positive image, positive action. And um, I'm so struck that 
why we need the energy is to be able to imagine, because I think it's very hard if we're in, we know from Barbara Fredrickson's work and others, when we're in that fear-based place, we do not have access to the mm-hmm. imagination. And uh, so I love the anticipatory and I, and I love quotes and I love Nelson Mandela's quote that says, action without vision is just passing time. Vision without action is just daydreaming, day, day mm-hmm. but vision with action can change the world. And for me, it all begins with that image of the future that I can be drawn towards. So um, that's my favorite. Oh, well, I I lost my breath for a moment because it happens to be mine as well. And I shared that actually on the last <laughs> podcast with Wick because it's his. So, oh, it makes you funny. <laughs> but I, like you said at the beginning, um, you know, I love them all and they come in and out of my life every day. Um, but just I do see the power of that um, anticipatory principle holding, being pulled towards the vision of the future that you want or you can you can imagine um, and that's an imagine of capacity, um, which yeah. is a, which is within us all. And I think it's also when we look at feedback, um, if we get that opportunity to to learn from the past, but then really get people to focus on. So what do you see the future that you can live into? And that is transformational. And again, have stories to share on that with different clients. But I feel that that is that's what, as you say, just. It's a, it's that North star is that beacon mm-hmm. yeah. that draws us. Yeah. Well, Mo, this has just been so fantastic. Um, I feel I've had huge gulps of air, um, <laughs> with all that you've been sharing and it's been totally invigorating and energizing. We have a lot of links to share with people. So I'm going to have fun writing up the show notes for this. And I wonder if you have something that I haven't touched upon or something that you're moved to share right now as we bring our, hopefully just our first conversation to a conclusion today. My, my wish for people is that you, you, you know, it was great to talk about the TDSB and, and uh, it was a big project, but it really is those, those, um, those micro practices, those, those moments that you can make that shift uh, for people is really what appreciative inquiry is all about. And so I would encourage people to just step out. You, you know, you don't, I didn't know much about it. I didn't really know anything about appreciative inquiry when I built it into my first project. So be courageous. Jane would say to me, you do no harm asking for what's working. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> try it out. You may be a little clumsy. Uh, you will love it. And if you're looking for resources, we'll have the AI Commons as a great spot for people to to learn more about appreciative inquiry. Most definitely. Well, thank you, Mo, for having spent this time with me today. I look forward to what's going to continue between us. I do too. I think it's a, it's, it's a point in time where it's like, the you know, they say the 30-year overnight success. I feel like this last 30 years, David has, and uh, many of us have held this together and the world is ready for it. Mm, yeah. Uh, and there's a pool. Yeah, and a, we will we will be part of it together. We are. There's a wonderful um, community of AI practitioners and people who are doing this work intuitively. I think that's the key thing. When people find out about it, I mean, it's not necessarily f- the formal stuff that goes on. So speaking to your micro experiences, it's just having that consciousness and yeah. acting on it, that awareness and, and making choices and then acting on it. 
And I think just to, when you see the air framework, there's a white circle in the center, and that's about pausing. And that's what we need right now. We need to encourage people to pause and then determine what outcome they want. So looking forward to what we're all going to uh, do together. And thank you so much for inviting me and um, doing this podcast with you. My absolute pleasure, Mo. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember what you focus on grows. So grow towards your best.